You're listening to Her Path to Success, a podcast to empower women to pursue a career that aligns with their passions and core values. We encourage women to show up, take actions, and thrive in their own ways. If you're looking to get inspired and expand your mind, you are in the right place. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to season two of Her Path to Success. I'm your host, Peggy Wu. I'm a certified life coach and yoga teacher, and I created this show to encourage women to listen inwardly and amplify their voices. Perhaps you're thinking about starting a business, making a career transition, or finding ways to expand your mind. I'm here to support you. I invite female entrepreneurs, small business owners, and change makers to share their career and life breakthroughs. The goal is to inspire you, my listeners, to find your career happiness. Today, at the beginning of season two, I want to introduce you to Sarah McMullen. Sarah is a consultant for inclusion and diversity, focusing on disability inclusion. When Sarah first got out of college, her goal was to do work fueled by her passion and allow her to make a positive change in the world. She didn't know what exactly that is. And instead of trying to find that job, the job found her. A company that does recruitment for inclusive employers to hire individuals with disabilities had a lunch and learn session at where Sarah worked. Sarah learned about what this company does and this company's mission, and she knew right away that this is the career she wants. Today's episode is a little longer because I want Sarah to answer some critical questions regarding disability inclusion in the workplace. I feel this episode will be great for anyone interested in the human resources roles and maybe specialize in the diversity, equity, and inclusion initiative. This episode may also be helpful to job seekers who have disabilities. Let's take a listen and let me know what you think. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for coming to the show today. I am so glad that you're here. Tell us about you. Hi, Peggy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Sarah McMullen. I'm an inclusion and diversity consultant, and I'm really passionate about a lot of different things, but related to the work that I do, I would say it's working with organizations to increase inclusion, diversity, and representation and equity for historically marginalized and underrepresented groups. And I know that's a really hot topic right now. It's a topic that a lot of people are talking about. And so for me, I think the journey was something that was very unexpected for me in terms of how I got into this work um, and into this field and industry. So for me personally, I'm an Asian American woman um, and in having previously worked in programs for people with disabilities and having family members with disabilities as well, that was just another added layer of diversity for me in terms of diversity that I was surrounded by, different perspectives, different lifestyles, um, different ways of living that I was able to then take into 
every role that I've had as a, a professional and be more empathetic to individuals, um, to be more inclusive to those historically underrepresented and marginalized groups. And never did I think that could actually be a career where you then work with organizations to try and intentionally increase that level of inclusion and belonging and equity. So my journey actually started for me um, when I was coming out of college. I was starting my career in a completely different industry. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I thought that I wanted to be a physical therapist. I was a biology major. I have always loved science. And I didn't know what I wanted to do with that degree. Did I want to pursue physical therapy? Did I want to pursue psychology? Did I want to pursue something else? But what I did know about myself is that I am someone who's fueled by passion and knowing that I'm doing something that is contributing to positive change and impact. So that was really important for me, knowing that I was always doing some kind of work that was contributing to that. The question is, what is that going to be around specifically? Because there are so many things that you can do in life that contribute to that positive change that feel like you're making an impact somewhere. And again, I remember in college, I never heard that term diversity and inclusion, nor would I have thought that it would be something that I could pursue. And it was something that I just kind of fell into. I was in the right place at the right time. Um, the company I was working for at the time was having a lunch and learn. And this other company getting hired came to talk to us about their organization. And in short explanation, getting hired works with companies to hire people with disabilities and to create inclusive workplaces for people with disabilities. And I immediately thought back to my experience with the nonprofit for people with disabilities that I worked for. I thought back to those family members that I have with disabilities as well. And I thought about this opportunity to educate organizations, major Fortune 500, Fortune 10 companies potentially that are out there, and to really help fight the stigma and stereotypes that are out there around people with disabilities. And from that, I just immediately knew that I had to find out more. So like anything in life, I firmly believe that anything can be an opportunity if you choose to see it that way. And I'm a firm believer that you do have to take the initiative and chance to open doors for yourself whenever possible. If you have that gut feeling, if you have that bit of curiosity, you need to lean into that. I think over time we lose that, that feeling of curiosity, um, or at least maybe it's always there, but we forget to continue to really nurture that and dive into it. So I was curious to learn more. I was very excited to learn more. I immediately approached the woman afterwards who was presenting. And I think I just came straight out and told her that I wanted to work for her. It must have been meant to be because it was a Friday and she was posting a new position on Monday. And I ended up applying for the job and I got it. And I've been in this industry ever since for the, for the past five years. Um, and there's nothing that I would change about that. So Sarah, I'm curious, besides your personal experience with your family members, can you talk a little more about why you think disability inclusion is so important? Part of the reason why, in addition to my personal experience, why I feel that disability inclusion is so important is that I feel that it's 
oftentimes the most misunderstood and intimidating to organizations, but impacts the most people. We say, especially in this space, that if we're all lucky to live long enough, then we will all have a disability at some point in our lives. Over 80% of disabilities are acquired in our lifetime. Even thinking about the rise in mental health issues like anxiety and depression as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and quarantining and being without human contact, seeing the ones that we love most, uh, it's caused this rise in mental health issues. And those are recognized as disabilities by the Americans with Disabilities Act. But oftentimes people just don't know that, or they don't know what is recognized as a disability. They don't know what's going to happen if they disclose, am I going to be viewed differently by my manager? Am I going to be treated differently? If I am applying for a job with so many people looking for work right now, there's the thought of why would I even chance sharing something that could potentially be held against me, or there could be a stigma or your stereotype or discrimination in play that could alter my chances of getting this job offer that I need so badly. So it's extremely understandable why someone might not disclose that about themselves, or if they have already some kind of physical difference or diversity that you can see, and that's another added layer. Sometimes it's that battle of picking and choosing, what do you want to disclose? So again, for me as an Asian American woman, you can see those two things about me. They are physically just visible. Um, and you as a recruiter might put me into both of those categories of, Hey, I have a candidate, Sarah, she is a woman, she's Asian American, but then it's up to me to actually disclose and decide if I choose to identify with both of those things. But if I also identified as having a disability, maybe it's non-apparent. You can't see that about me, but that's a third thing that I don't know if I want to share that right away because again, there might be some stigma associated with me being a woman or a female candidate for a role that traditionally a lot of men are applying for. Maybe I am the minority in your, your candidate pool already. Um, so I don't want to hurt my chances further, but that's part of the reason why I love my job so much is I get to work with talent acquisition most of the time. And I just love seeing change happen, change in how people think their processes ultimately within their organizations that result in greater opportunities for people. And hearing that phrase, I never thought about it that way, is one of my favorite phrases to hear because more times than not, that does result in change. It's not just telling somebody how they need to change their behavior. It's getting to that next step where they're actually thinking about it now. How is this impacting those that I work with? How is this impacting me? You're getting them to see it through a different lens. And a lot of times when I talk to organizations, I'm not necessarily telling them anything new, but I'm framing it in a way that resonates with them. So for example, working with a talent acquisition team to remind them about intersectionality. Most companies have initiatives to hire more people of color, women, veterans, LGBTQ+, and then they hear disability hiring and it feels daunting to them. It feels even more foreign and unknown of how do we do this. But I remind them that they're already interacting with candidates with disabilities. They already have employees with disabilities who haven't disclosed because over 70% are non-apparent. 
So many times in talent acquisition, we tend to segment people again into that single diversity demographic, like I mentioned, and I've had the experience of kind of being bucketed like that before as a candidate. And we look at all the candidates we have that are women. And then we look at all the candidates that we have that are people of color, but disability intersects with all of those other demographics. And if you want the best possible candidate experience, you have to make it inclusive and accessible for people with disabilities. That's going to make the experience better for every other person out there. And we see that with changes that are made every single day. And I'll give a very old example, but text messaging is one example. For somebody who has deafness or hearing loss, text messaging was the accommodation versus having that voice-to-voice call. But I don't know a single person who doesn't text. It's something that we have all benefited from as our world created something to be more inclusive for people with disabilities. Or if anybody recently saw Nike came out with a shoe that is accessible for people with disabilities or might have limited mobility in being able to pull on a shoe or to lace up um, or, or tie their shoe. You can just slip your foot in and it kind of clicks in, which is incredible. And I don't know a single person who wouldn't want an easier experience like that. Again, designed and created for people with disabilities, but something that creates a better experience for people people without disabilities as well. So there's so there are so many different examples and business cases for why disability inclusion needs to be a priority and just as much of a focus um, for your organization as your initiatives for all other diversity demographics. We all understand that biases exist and it's not always easy for everyone to recognize that we are unconsciously biased. So tell us about what you think on this subject. And also, can you tell us a little more about the concept of intersectionality? People have an unconscious bias where before you even get to know me, and this is just ingrained in us, and the research is out there that for even primal reasons, our brains are wired to categorize people as quickly as possible in order to make quick decisions. We are faced with so much information. It's 11 million pieces at least at any given time. We can only process about 40 bits of those uh, pieces of information. So we learn to recognize people that look like us uh, from a primal standpoint to know, are we safe? Are we not safe? Is this something that I need to engage, fight or flight? And that's why even babies recognize race, I think is the first identifier um, that they recognize. And no one necessarily teaches it to them, but it's knowing and looking at a face and thinking, does this person look like my parents? So if they look like my parents, I must be in an environment that's safe. That's the unconscious bias. As we grow up, then we learn and society teaches us stigmas and stereotypes that are associated with those groups. Um, So exactly to your point, bias absolutely exists. And that's a huge topic that is being focused on within talent acquisition. So if you learn that a candidate has a disability, for example, you learn not to look at them differently 
or judge them, have any kind of preconceived notions about their ability to do something just because they have this type of label or they identify with it. But the concept of intersectionality is just understanding that there are various differences or identifiers about each person that can intersect with one another. So no one person is any one thing. Again, I am too diverse, technically speaking, uh, from a talent acquisition standpoint, two diversity demographics, women, people of color. I am both. I am a woman and I'm a person of color. So those two demographics or categories, you can say intersect with one another within me as a single person. You could also be anything else. You could be a woman, a person of color, and have a disability. And those are three categories. Those are three demographics that are intersecting within one person. Um, And it's just understanding that, again, no one person is any one thing. So sometimes as a recruiter, maybe you don't even mean to, um, but a lot of times that kind of unconscious part of our brain is really um, what's driving a lot of our actions and our behaviors throughout the day where whether we realize it or not, a lot of times we're kind of on autopilot. You learn a process and you continue to do it. Same thing with candidates. Recruiters see an overwhelming number of resumes every single day. They have to find the best talent in the fastest time to fill the recs that they have. And it's a challenge. I, by no means, I don't discount that. It is a huge challenge. Um, and it's a huge responsibility that they have, but understanding that, Hey, you have a candidate sitting in front of you. Maybe you're on a video call with me and you look at me and just quickly, you think to talk about diversity and inclusion, you're going to mention that, Hey, by the way, we have a lot of employee resource groups that I think would be, um, something that, you know, anybody's interested in, I participate in them. We have an employee resource group for women. We have an employee resource group for Asian Pacific Islanders. We have an employee resource group for LGBTQ plus. And you just kind of mentioned some of the resources that are available from a diversity and inclusion standpoint to show that your company is trying to be inclusive, but you don't think to mention some of the things that are especially of interest to people with disabilities, like a flexible work schedule, or that there is an employee resource group for people with disabilities and caregivers as well, or understanding that medical benefits might be of uh, an especially high interest to me as a person with a disability. I might just have a non-apparent disability that I haven't disclosed to you. So for every candidate that you talk to, It needs to be the same experience. It needs to be the same amount of information that you're sharing because you never know who could have a disability. You need to offer and ask if the candidate uh, needs to request a reasonable accommodation through every single step of the candidate experience and process. It shouldn't just be asked at the very beginning and then never asked again. Um, That person might not have felt comfortable asking at the very beginning, but now further into the interview process, they do feel comfortable asking, or maybe they didn't need it in a step at the beginning, but they do need it now uh, later on within the process or now that they're being hired, they need it for their actual job. Um, So that's a little bit more on the intersectionality piece and why 
again, you never know who could have a disability. So you need to be inclusive for people with disabilities in everything that you do. Sarah, how do companies create an inclusive workplace and ensure that employees are treated equally? I know there are resources and training for this subject for HR professionals, but in your opinion, what else can be done? This is a really great question. I think there's no one right answer to this because it ultimately dives into a company's culture. It dives into their values, um, into their mission statement. It dives into every department and aspect of their business um, because it has to be addressed holistically. Creating change within one department is not going to achieve this. But one thing that does come to mind is being willing to take that deeper dive, to really look into the daily operations and processes within your organization and really understand the difference even between diversity, inclusion, and equity. I think it's a term everybody is saying right now, diversity, inclusion, and equity, or DE&I is the acronym that's being used. But do you truly understand the difference between those three terms and what it looks like to achieve it. So for example, having a diversity hiring program or recruitment initiative, that is addressing diversity and representation. It now takes a a different set of skills and focus and individuals to be involved sometimes um, to really look at then the onboarding experience, the company culture, the inclusive climate to move that diversity hiring program from just that diversity and representation to inclusion. Because inclusion has to do with that feeling of belonging. It has to do with how value do you feel for your difference in thought, for your difference in perspective and ideas. And then furthermore, just because you feel included, it doesn't mean that equity exists. That's a separate layer that adds on to it. And so I think understanding that difference and really challenging yourself to take a step back, look at all of the existing initiatives, but all of the initiatives that you have planned for the year and look at how they're going to be executed or how have they been executed in the past? Because I think right now too, organizations are kind of competing with one another. They're, especially from 2020, diversity and inclusion was a focus for many organizations and 2020 really just accelerated that focus and the growth in that area. And so now a company might create, for example, a DE&I committee, but are they taking the time to make sure they truly understand how to set up that committee for success, that it can, in fact, impact its current employees in a positive way and create the change that they want to, or are they just creating it and creating it as quickly as possible because Most other organizations are creating one as well. And so sometimes that can 
hurt more than it can help to show that, hey, you made the effort, but you didn't take the time to really look into how to do it the right way. Um, So that would be one thing that I would just challenge organizations to do is, again, take a step back and really look at your initiatives and understand those differences. Does this currently fall under the diversity bucket? What would it take for it to also achieve inclusion and now also have equity in place as well? And from a process and policies standpoint, definitely take a look at that. When it comes to equity, to have the same experience as your other colleagues, for example, something even like family leave. And I know I might be asking for a lot from organizations because it's not something you can just change overnight, some type of benefit like that. But it's just an example to me that I think is pretty universal in the sense that family leave is something that everybody would benefit from um, if if some of the policies changed around that. And even having a policy in place where you have more of that traditional maternity, paternity leave. And maternity leave is, let's say, three months and paternity leave is one or two weeks. Well, what type of message is that sending to your employees as well? That one, We mainly recognize heterosexual couples, um, and that's because it's maternity and paternity leave, but also we are recognizing that women or the mothers have that more so traditional role in being the caregivers and taking care of the children first. And fathers, their time isn't as important. Um, They can return to work. We need them to return to work. That's their role. And so it might sound a little to the point, but that's absolutely how it could be perceived. Um, You know, it should be the same amount of leave for families who are adopting, uh, for families who have surrogates, for literally just any family who's adding a new addition to their family. You don't have to physically give birth in order to still be entitled to the same amount of leave and time if you're bringing a child or a baby into your family. Um, I think that's one thing just to really think about. And also just think about how might different groups, um, people from different backgrounds, experience things, you know, what might they be interested in? For example, people with disabilities, and this is not all by any means, this is just one example, but some people with disabilities, um, do they, would they like a higher or, you know, more encompassing medical benefits package? Um, Are they willing to take a lower, potentially slightly lower salary because they want a different benefits package than everybody else might have? And so that does bring in the question of equity within salary and pay as well. But uh, is that up for a conversation? Is that a trade-off? Is that something that is even allowed by your organization, but that's an option that is being offered, knowing that some individuals might want that, um, and that might help them perform to their best level and potential, and the money otherwise that they would be spending from that salary that they have um, is now being covered by their insurance and that difference in a benefits package that they have as well. 
I think this next question will be really helpful for everybody to learn about, and this has to do with an interview with individuals with disabilities. What can and cannot the prospective employer ask in an interview about this person's disability? And it's really important to know what you can and cannot legally ask an individual with a disability in an interview. For example, you. It, there's a difference too between the pre-offer stage and the post-offer stage, and we could probably talk about this in, in greater detail uh, in a whole other podcast. But uh, the long and short of it is, pre-offer stage, you cannot ask disability-specific or related questions. You cannot ask somebody, "Do you have a disability?" Um, even if they have an apparent disability, it's not appropriate to ask somebody about that. Ultimately, the the golden rule is you should treat a candidate with a disability like you would every other candidate, meaning that you should only ask questions related to the essential functions and requirements of the job. That's going to help you evaluate whether or not the candidate is the best fit um, and meets the requirements for the job. Um, and when I say a candidate with a disability. The question is, how do you even know that you're talking to a candidate with a disability? For one, it might be physically apparent. Now, majority of disabilities are not. I always like to say that media, movies, advertisements, society has taught us to synonymously and immediately think about a person with a disability as somebody in a wheelchair or needing constant assistance or having something that is physically apparent, uh, like limb loss or um, something else that affects potentially their mobility. And that is not at all an accurate depiction of the disability population as a whole. Again, over 70% of disabilities are not apparent. Your disability status can change if your um, if what you have medically changes. So let's say that if you are diagnosed with cancer, you go through treatment, now you're in remission, you might have gone from identifying with a disability as you were going through treatment, as you were diagnosed, to now saying that you don't have a disability. You have every right to change your disability status as an individual. So that's one way that you might know that you're talking to a candidate with a disability is if something is physically apparent. The other way is if a candidate discloses to you. They might say that they have a disability. Um, a lot of times it might not be quite as clear and as explicit as that. It could be a roundabout way of telling you by asking about certain benefits or accommodations. Maybe they're trying to put a feeler out there for you know, how inclusive is the organization? Do you know how to appropriately respond to the question that I'm asking if I need to request a reasonable accommodation? Do you know the direction to point me? Or if I do disclose a disability, are you responding in the appropriate way, which is to thank the individual for sharing that information with you and then ask if they need to request a reasonable accommodation. If yes, provide the company accommodation statement, which all recruiters should have handy. If no, you do not and should not ask any questions beyond that 
about the person's disability, about anything that they disclose to you. It does not have to do with the essential functions of the job. I know we're, most of us are empathetic people. We like to try to thank people for sharing something with us, especially something if it feels deeply personal. You don't have to feel the need to ask or comment further about that person's disclosure um, or their story. You can continue to move on with the interview as you would with any other candidate. So that's probably my golden rule is ask the job function related questions um, and do not ask any disability specific questions. Uh, don't ask if anyone has taken any medications or is taking any medications. Do not ask about sick days and their current or previous job, um, about job related injuries. Uh, those are all inappropriate to ask during the pre-offer stage. Now, post-offer, it does change a little bit. You can ask some disability related questions if it's standard to ask all candidates and new hires and new employees in that same job role and same job function, that question. So again, the key is, are you asking somebody or are you thinking of asking somebody something as a, a targeted question because you think they might have a disability or they disclose something to you? Or is it just a standard question you're asking everybody? If it's a standard question you're asking everybody, then it's totally fine. You don't have to worry about it. But if you are altering and changing the set of questions that you would typically ask because of a difference that you either see or has been disclosed to you about somebody, it's probably not appropriate for you to do that. All right. So here comes my last question, Sarah. What's your definition of success? Yeah, it's, um, it's a great question. So I think the first thing that I want to call out is oftentimes, at least for me, when I hear that question, well, what's your definition of success? I immediately try to think of something professional. What is something related to my career success? And that's only one small aspect of who I am. And I think especially as women, we wear so many different hats. And I'm not saying men don't, but women especially, we wear so many hats and we tend to want to do everything to 100% and succeed in every aspect of our life. And it's hard. It's really hard. And so what I have, I think something that's changed about me is I have dialed back the expectations that I have for myself. And I've really looked at what is really important to me. And yeah, if my lasting legacy is X, that will make me really proud. And maybe that is my definition of success. And so thinking about it that way, um, I would say, what my definition of success is honestly being the best mom that I possibly can. You know, I'm a new mom. I have a 21 month old. I can't believe she's about to be two years old. Time flies, especially in a pandemic, but being the best possible mom that I can to her, I have realized how much that involves. And I'm sure for anybody else who might be listening, who is a parent of any kind, you understand you invest everything into that child, into that person, 
you want the absolute best for them. Everything is a decision. I have Google searched more than I could ever possibly say to make one decision about something so simple, like a sippy cup, you know, what is the best possible sippy cup for me to use? And maybe that's overthinking things, but everything that I do is for her. Um, and tying into the professional side of things into my career, everything that I do is for her. So even from that standpoint, again, there's that blurred line between work and life. And so for me, success also means working within an organization where I can create a shift in behavior in the workplace towards greater inclusion, belonging, mental wellness, and equity, that is going to create a better world, not just for me, but for my daughter, for my friend's kids, for my baby cousins, for everybody that I know, the next generation that is coming, but for all of us as well. Um, and for the generations above us as well, I don't know anybody who doesn't want to work for a company that does, in fact, value and foster mental wellness, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And so that is my other measure of success. It's a little bit more broad. It's going to take a lot more work to get to that point. Um, but if I can feel like I directly contributed to that shift, to making that type of change, I will feel like I've succeeded in some kind of way. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. I feel like I've learned a lot from you. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me, Peggy. It was an absolute pleasure. And thank you for all the work that you're doing. I think it's incredible sharing these stories and, um, you know, this type of advice through storytelling. So thank you for the work you're doing. was Sarah McMullen, a consultant for inclusion and diversity focusing on disability inclusion. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, is a very popular topic right now. Sarah urges organizations to truly understand what DEI is and set up the right policy around that. I feel there is also urgency for people in the leadership role to educate themselves about DEI or bring in subject matter experts to help the initiative. Changes should be initiated from the top. It is the senior management's responsibility to make a commitment to being inclusive leaders and hold a safe space for all the employees. Sarah said something very powerful. She said, if we are all lucky to live long enough, then we'll all have a disability at some point in our lives. Over 80% of disabilities are acquired in our lifetime. So this could be related to losing mobility, hearing, vision as a result of aging or illness. It could also be mental health related. The point is, Having a disability is not unlikely or uncommon. It's something for all of us to think about. To Sarah, advocating for disability inclusion is what she's passionate about, and it's an impactful mission that she's proud to take on. Sarah also encourages everyone to take the initiative and lean into that gut feeling and curiosity to find their career passion.
If you want to connect with Sarah, find her on LinkedIn. I'll leave a link in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, follow, and share it with your friends and family. Also, connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at mindful underscore sequences. If you have any thoughts and comments, please let me know. Email me at peggy at mindfulsequences.com. Thank you so much for listening. May we all do our part to invoke the change we want to see and make this world a better place. Until next time. Her Path to Success is here to remind you, define success your way, not based on what someone else is doing or what others expect of you. Remember that you are worthy and you have what it takes to succeed. Thank you.